The sermon text for this morning is John chapter 12, uh, verse 46. It's a passage in which the Lord Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And we're considering this passage this morning in order to understand why Jesus came to earth in order to understand his mission. Why did the Lord Jesus humble himself by veiling himself in our frail flesh and then live a life of humility and simplicity and suffering and then die a cruel death on the cross? Why did he do these things? And in our text, what we're doing is we are seeking to understand his mission, to understand it from his perspective, how he himself explains the reason for these things. Let me read John chapter 12, verse 46 again as we seek the answer. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So we see in this verse that the Lord Jesus explains his mission by saying that he came into the world as light. A light in the Bible often refers to visible light. It's the stuff that comes from fire and lamps and the stars at night. But the Bible also uses the word light metaphorically. It uses it to describe spiritual understanding that those who have been given light are those who understand God. They're those who know God, who follow after God, who seek Him, who seek to please Him, who seek to obey Him. So those who are walking in the light are those who are walking with the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 1, the psalmist writing, King David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. David here identifies that the light is God himself. We know that in God there is no darkness at all. And so this is important to note because when the Lord Jesus, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, verse 12, when the Lord Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world, he isn't referring to visible light, but he is referring to spiritual light. By saying that he's the light of the world, Jesus here is referring to the fact that he is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, with the Father who is light, as David said in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Father in whom there is no darkness at all. And the same, therefore, can be said of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus is light because he reveals God perfectly and fully. Jesus said that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Nicene Creed says of the Lord Jesus that he is God of God, light of light. And so those who walk in the light then are those who know Christ and trust in him. They have been given spiritual understanding, they have been given revelation. 
And so why then, as we consider this, why did Jesus need to come to the earth as light? Well, children, you uh, know the answer to this, and you can comprehend this very well. Because when do you usually need a flashlight? Usually don't need a flashlight during the day when the sun's out. You don't need a flashlight when you're in a well-lit room. But when do you need a flashlight? You need it when it's dark, maybe when you're camping, when it's night outside, or when you're going for a late-night walk. That's when you need a flashlight. And so in the same way, we needed Jesus to come to the earth because of the spiritual darkness that has affected all of creation. This is why the Lord Jesus came as light, because all of creation was and is in spiritual darkness. As we consider our first point for this morning, the present darkness that we are in, because as we consider this point, you know, in the same way as we said that light is often used in the Bible to describe spiritual understanding, darkness is often used in the Bible to describe sinfulness, uh, to describe wickedness, to describe those who uh, reject God. This is often referred to as those who live in darkness. And we know, loved ones, don't we, that the world that the Lord Jesus Christ was born into was a world that was cast in spiritual darkness. Uh, That darkness began uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and the curse of sin fell upon them and all of creation. And we know from Genesis chapter 3 that immediately both Adam and Eve felt that spiritual darkness come over their hearts and their minds as they tried to hide from God because they feared his holiness. And then that spiritual darkness not only affected Adam and Eve, but it also affected their children. As we read in Genesis chapter 4 about the first cold-blooded murder, Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel um, out of envy. And then by Genesis chapter 6, this is just six chapters into Uh, world history. Six chapters into the Bible, we read these very sad words there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what we see is that the spiritual darkness in Noah's time wasn't just dim, but it was pitch black. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And loved ones, we know that the story of our history doesn't get better as Scripture progresses, because we see throughout Scripture, throughout our history, the spiritual darkness persisting remaining. We know this because the world in which the Lord Jesus was born into was a world ruled by pagan Rome, by a wicked empire. It was an empire that encouraged and even commanded idolatrous worship. It was an empire that was unjust. It was an empire that was opposed to 
the one true God in every way? And, you know, some of you might be thinking this morning, well, yeah, you know, that's civil government. We come to expect things like that. Surely, though, the church was better. We would expect that of secular civil government. But surely the church was in better shape. It wasn't in that kind of darkness. And yet we see in the New Testament, loved ones, we see that even among God's people, there were very few who walked in the light. There were very few who loved God and who trusted in his coming Messiah. In fact, what we see in the New Testament is that many of those who claimed to be God's people, who claimed to love God, were the very same people who lived in darkness. The sad fact that we see in the Gospels is that Jesus argued more with the religious leaders than he did with the pagans, because many of the religious leaders in Jesus' time had become blind guides. This was referring to the fact that their hearts and their minds were darkened by sin. We read in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 28, as Jesus, uh, we would say, calls out the Pharisees for their wickedness and for the way that they are leading the people in sin rather than in righteousness. The Lord Jesus says to them, You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And we see the darkness of their hearts, the religious leaders, that it was seen not only in their rejection of the Lord Jesus, but in their active opposition and their active persecution of him. We know from the Gospels that they are the ones who plotted, who schemed, who made plans to have Jesus crucified. And so it's no wonder, loved ones, is it, that when the Lord Jesus was hanging on the cross, they're crucified. The Gospels record that darkness descended over the land. We read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. This is from noon to 3 p.m. Noon to 3 p.m. when the sun is usually brightest. Instead, we see there was darkness. And it's not that there was a solar eclipse, but this was a supernatural act of God that displayed his displeasure and his judgment upon humanity for crucifying his son. See, that darkness that day was an outward display of the inward reality of the hearts of all those who reject God. So what about us? You know, some of you might be saying to yourselves, it's been a long time since Adam and Eve, been a long time since Cain and Abel, uh, since the Roman Empire was in power. Surely, we are not like those back then who suffered from spiritual darkness. We're different, aren't we? But the Bible says that this darkness continues 
persist over the world. The Bible says that those without Christ, all those without Christ, are those who walk in this same spiritual darkness. The Apostle Paul describes this spiritual darkness that is over all of humanity, all those who are outside of Christ. He describes it in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. There he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And he says there, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, the Apostle Paul is pointing out that the spiritual darkness that the Bible speaks of is evident everywhere in society. It's evident and manifested in all those who reject Christ and who continue to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that very well-known chapter in which he speaks about the reality of our spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, loved ones, what we see from Scripture is that the spiritual darkness persists. And it's not just dim, but it continues be pitch black, continues to be dismal over all those who are living outside of Christ. See, the Bible shows us that humanity outside of Christ is not just a little messed up, but that humanity without Christ is radically corrupt. Now, there's a a satirical Christian website called the Babylon Bee, I'm not sure if you've, you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, but a couple of days ago, they ran the following headline, and I want you to remember that this is a satire. It's, the headline reads, Santa Claus converts to Calvinism and moves everybody to his naughty list. <laughs> the article continues it's from the North Pole. After a transformative moment reading R.C. Sproul's What is Reformed Theology?, For the first time earlier this week, legendary Christmas icon Santa Claus reportedly converted to a full-on five-point Calvinist and almost immediately moved every single person on the planet to the naughty list. Sources confirmed Friday. Continues on and says, And here they quote Santa, How can I put anyone on the nice list when every human being is totally depraved from birth? St. Nick was overheard saying to Mrs. Claus in his office, no matter what filthy rags of righteousness they bring before the Lord, they are condemned already based on their sinful nature. The jolly, gift-giving man tasked his elves with purging the entire nice list and moving all the names over to the naughty list all afternoon as he lectured them about their need for a Savior who could save them completely. This article is getting at the fact 
using humor to show the spiritual darkness that all mankind is in, all those who are outside of Christ. So friends, this is why this is why it's important to understand how dark the darkness of this world really is. How dark the spiritual darkness is in our own hearts without Christ. Because until we understand that, until we comprehend that fully, we won't understand why he had to come as light in this world. We have to understand the problem in order to understand the glory of God's solution to it. As we consider our second point, Christ's glorious light. Because as we consider again Genesis 3 and the curse that came upon all creation as a result of the sin of Adam, with that same sin that plunged all of creation into darkness, we read that God gave a promise. With that same curse came a promise. We read in Genesis 3.15, God then there says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That great promise comes from the Lord that he will send a serpent crusher, a man out of Adam's own line who will rise up and do what Adam failed to do, will obey God fully and will deal the death blow to the one who led his people into sin. The promise there in Genesis 3.15 in the garden is that the darkness will ultimately not overcome the light. And we see that promise there in Genesis 3.15 is repeated throughout the older covenant. It's repeated for centuries through types and pictures that God gave his people. One of the pictures being there in Exodus chapter 13 that we read. As God led his people in the darkness of the wilderness by his marvelous, miraculous light. And then the promise repeated again in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, where Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. There, Isaiah giving the promise through the inspiration of the Lord, that light will come. It will dawn. It will not be dark like this forever. And so, loved ones, consider how fitting it is then that when Christ was born, his birth was heralded by what? By bright, shining light. Light that lit up the darkness of the night. We read, In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, about this light, that suddenly, in the darkness of that night 2,000 years ago, the angel of the Lord stood before the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what was it, loved ones? What was it that directed the wise men to seek and to find Jesus? It was the light of the bright star in the sky. But we know, we know that with his incarnation and with his birth, the Lord Jesus brought not only visible light, but he brought the more important spiritual light that we all need. 
the spiritual light that we need because we are in a world of darkness. And he was able to bring this light because he was the only one ever to be born without darkness, without sin. See, he is the only one who entered this world innocent. And all the Gospels, all the Gospels testify to this fact. And the Gospels, it's ironic the way God shows his humor in that as those in the church were condemning the Lord Jesus, God used pagan, wicked Roman magistrates to show Jesus' innocence. We read in Luke chapter 23, verse 4, as the religious leaders were condemning Jesus, Pilate says to them and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And then in John 18, verse 38, Pilate, again we read, went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And then we read about Pilate's decision in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 16. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against me, against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, Pilate says, so clearly, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And we read further testimony to this fact from the Roman soldier that was there standing next to the cross of our Lord Jesus. This Roman soldier who also testified to his innocence there in Luke chapter 23, after Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The centurion who sat there looking upon Jesus praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. So, loved ones, what we see in the Gospels is that Christ, by his coming into our world, he revealed the darkness and the depravity of our human nature. Because that's the nature of what light does, isn't it? It reveals the ugly flaws, it reveals the imperfections. And in this case, it revealed the sins that were previously hidden, the sins that people were suppressing in unrighteousness and that people continue to suppress in unrighteousness, the light of Christ, his righteousness, his glory, his beauty, his perfection reveals these things. That's the nature of light. If you look in a mirror from 10 feet away and shine your smile, you might think, Teeth look pretty good. But you know, and I know, that when you go to the dentist and he sits you in that chair and he brings over that bright light, that light that is so bright sometimes it feels like you're staring at the sun, and he shines it on your teeth, uh, all of a sudden he could see every imperfection, every imperfection that you 
could not see at a distance, your dentist sees everything. And it's while you're under that light, isn't it, that he asks those hard questions. Questions like, have you been flossing? And you know you can't lie to him because he sees it all, right? He could tell, right? And even if you uh, tried your hardest, you know that, that he can see every little detail that you perhaps uh, missed. Isaiah had this very same experience when he saw Christ's light, when he saw Christ's glory. There in Isaiah chapter 6, the the very well-known vision, when Isaiah beheld the glory of God, the glory that we know later, Jesus says that Isaiah saw him. What was Isaiah's response to that light? His response was, and here, remember, this is a prophet of God who was sent to preach against God's people, to preach against their sinfulness. Here's this prophet of God who now, beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, says in response, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees the glory of Christ. And in that, he beholds his imperfections, his sinfulness, his wretchedness. And he responds in fear. And in the same way, when Christ came as the brightness of God's glory, when he came into our world as God of God and light of light, when he came in complete innocence and in infinite perfection, he revealed, loved ones, the horror and the depravity of our sinfulness. He revealed the darkness of our own hearts. And see, the wonder, the wonder of the Gospels is not just that he revealed our depravity and our sinfulness, but that he also delivered us from it, delivered us from that darkness. As we consider our third point, I want to read John chapter 12, verse 46 again. The Lord Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, loved ones, this is the grace that we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he did not come only to reveal our darkness, our depravity, our sin. See, that would have been cruel. It's like the dentist looking into your mouth and saying, you're messed up. See you later, right? We want the dentist to say, you have problems. I will help. It is cruel to point out imperfections. It is cruel to point out sin, and yet not to help, not to draw someone out of them. And he didn't come just to bring us more law either. That would have been cruel as well. Having come and seen the darkness, seen the depravity, and just offered more tips, more law, more ways of us trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That wasn't the solution either. But the grace that we see in Jesus Christ is that in his coming, he both exposed our sinfulness by his light, but he also delivered us from 
the darkness by his obedient life and his substitutionary death. This is the glory of the gospel. It's that the innocent one not only exposed sin by his light, but that he also delivered us from sin's darkness. John chapter 12, verse 46 again. I have come into the world so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Loved ones, Christ came to bring light to this dark world. This is God's solution, God's plan of salvation for a world overcome by the darkness of sin. Christ, therefore, is the only light of the world. And the promise of the scriptures is that by believing in him through the gift of faith given by the Spirit, that his light will flood your soul and the darkness will be cast out. The late James Montgomery Boyce explains it this way, that believing on Jesus means more than just saying, Jesus Christ is God. He says, you must also say, Jesus Christ is my God. It means more than saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins. It means saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. It means more than saying, Jesus Christ is a Savior. But believing on the Lord Jesus means saying, Christ is my Savior, my Lord, my God. And the question comes then, is he that for you? I can assure you that to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be your light, God, Savior, and Lord is the beginning of life. This is what we read in the scriptures, spiritually speaking. It is as you make that commitment to him that the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ will begin to flood your soul and the darkness will be cast out. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he willingly gave up his divine privileges and by his incarnation took on our flesh, humbling himself in order to raise us up. We thank you for the light of spiritual clarity that he brings through his word and spirit. And we pray, O Lord, for daily grace to live for your glory and honor as we shine as lights in this dark world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.